If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. In this episode of Mind Pump, this is a sponsored episode uh, by Escape Fitness. So this is a company that makes uh, commercial gym equipment. And so we interviewed the co-founder, Matthew Genesek. Great guy. Um, he's a guest on the show, obviously. He's also the host of the Escape Your Limits podcast, so he does have his own podcast. And he's uh, he shares knowledge on his podcast and insight for fitness entrepreneurs every single week. Now, the company Escape are specialists in creating the ultimate fitness experience in over 80 countries through game-changing gym design, industry-leading equipment, online or face-to-face -face education, and business-in-a-box programming. So if you want to learn more about this company... Just go to escapefitness.com. Now, before we start the episode, I want to let everybody know that one of our biggest promotions ever, MAPS Performance, being 50% off, that ends in five days. You got five days to act. That's it. And remember, MAPS Performance is our fitness program designed to build muscle, burn body fat, and dramatically improve your mobility and athletic performance. So it's a different workout than your traditional resistance training workouts. Now, if you want to take advantage of this promotion, go to mapsgreen.com and use the code GREEN50, G-R-E-E-N-5-0, no space for the 50% off discount. And without any further ado, here we are interviewing Matthew Genesek of Escape Fitness. So, Matt, I think I talked to you, how was it like... It might have been like four or five months ago, maybe even longer, right? It was a little while ago. Yeah, it seems to take a while for us to kind of get get together. Yeah, so what we typically do um, when we have a guest on the show, there's a few different ways we have a guest on the show. Either one of us is really interested in talking to somebody, so we reach out and have them on. Um, the other way is that they reach out to us, and we get quite a few of these inquiries inquiries um, per day, and our uh, our assistant, Rachel, will come in. She'll bring us the you know the people who are interested and we'll look over them and then the next step is typically I'll get on the phone with them and um, talk we, to them to see if it's a good fit if it's going to be good for the show if if we think it's going to provide value and so I got on the phone with you and I had no idea who you were um, all the form said was that you had a very successful uh, gym equipment business um, and uh, so I got on the phone with you and we actually know quite a few people in common that's what really got me interested. You, uh, your company, and we'll get into how that all started, but your company provides uh, equipment to some of the, uh, the, the gyms that uh, Mark Masteroff owns here in the, in, in the area. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. I was just saying I, I was down at their um, UFC HQ yesterday. Uh, so we, we work with their, they've got a number of brands, but we, we work with the um, UFC brands on the corporate and franchise side, uh, also Crunch, and, and now some of you know, Mark's new ventures into 49ers, Cowboy Fit, and, and some of the sort of um, what you call football uh, gyms that, that are uh, mm. uh, uh, franchises that they, that they started to What do you on. think about those combinations, what they're doing? Because we just, we just went to the 49er Fit Club uh, here in San Jose recently, and it's one of the nicest, best-equipped gyms that... It's a beautiful club. Yeah, that we've ever seen in terms of just... It's not a country club, but it's very, very nice. They have everything, and the equipment is phenomenal. The layout's phenomenal. I know it's, uh, what's his name, Mike Feeney, who uh, organizes and designs things. That guy's brilliant. Phenomenal. What do you think about this combination with these pro teams? Well, I, I, um, I've been 
following it. Obviously, they they chose to use Escape, which which is fantastic. Um, but I've, I've I've followed Mark for a long time, and without really knowing the details, what I've learned is anything he does, he there's there's a reason, and he's an extremely smart guy. So, without fully understanding the business model, is you know if Mark's involved, I think it, it's, it's a great idea and it's going to work. <laughs> Good bet. Yeah. Good bet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I put my money on that, that one. Yeah. <laughs> so, how long have you been in business? How did you start your your equipment company? I, I've uh, we've been going now just over twenty years. And uh, I, um, I kind of started, I, I, I think I got my first interest in fitness when I was about 15, 16 year, years old, fell off my roller skates, um, had, a, had a reason to take some time off school, which at that age was fantastic because I didn't like school, school didn't like me. And, um, and so I, went, I, I, came, I came home and um, I had these old VHS video cassettes, I'm showing my age now, and, and there, I, there, somehow there was this pumping iron VHS cassette there, and I, I, oh, I watched it every really? single day. Oh, so did I for the whole like three or four <laughs> yeah. times a day. Um, and I and I I sort of you know tell tell, tell people the story. I met, I was I was on these crutches because I couldn't walk very well, and I, I used to go up and down the living room, you know, getting food and stuff while I was watching the the, the DVDs. And I remember sort of going past the mirror, seeing a bit of a tricep kind of noted. I'm like, oh wow, oh, yeah. you know, I've I've got genetics, and I, I had this dream of being um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and uh, that that was really where it all started. Wow, wow. <laughs> and did, did you compete at all, or were you just training? Yeah, I I did up until 21. I I did a bunch of junior competitions, you know, reasonable level. I wasn't, you know, wasn't anything fantastic, but I did compete and and did okay. I I just uh, I just didn't have the natural genetics to go on beyond that you know when when in in the uk you when you got to 21 you went up into a novice category and and it was just a totally different level and i thought okay you know i've i've done my part uh, well, <laughs> roller skates to uh, bodybuilding sounds like a natural progression absolutely there. <laughs> yeah, roller skates good. on but yeah bodybuilders on roller skates so when different. when exactly did the idea of the gym equipment happen and did you have experience in other businesses related to fitness or was this really your first introduction into business with fitness like how did that all start? Yeah, I'd always so when I was um, when I was doing the bodybuilding, I, I worked for my grandfather in the dental business, which is totally different. Which I it, it was I, I left school with one exam, um, which was in woodwork and metalwork. Made made myself, you know, got my exam by making a set of squat stands and adjustable bench, which was it was kind of logic. I thought, well, if I'm going to do this, I need to make something I can use in my home gym. And I and I happened to get a qualification because it was a pretty good idea, which wasn't my intention. It was just to build out my home gym. So I, I um, you know, left school, fell into my grandfather's business because it was the only thing that I could get employed for doing. Because it's my grandfather, he offered me the job, but I didn't. It, it wasn't my passion. So in the evenings, I used to be a doorman because I was a you know pretty decent size. So I'd I'd work nine to five, and then I'd drive for an hour to Nottingham, which is sort of north of England. And then I'd work on the doors from sort of, you know, nine till two, drive back. And I do that three or four days. And I, and so I, you know, I used to sort of work in the nightclubs and, you know, do what you do in that kind of business to make some side money and, and hang around other bodybuilders. And, and I just wanted to be in the gym business. That, that, so anything I could do to sort of subsidize my boring day job, I, I did. Mm. Um, you know, me and my dad tried different ideas from, you know, we, we did think about starting a gym, but we couldn't raise the money. So that was an idea at one point. And then we started selling ladies' clothes into Poland, and and that was a great idea. It was great fun. <laughs> ladies' clothes? Yeah, it was a bizarre. I, I had a I had a girlfriend whose father had market stores, and he used to sell ladies' dresses. And 
and I was kind of chatting to him one day and I thought, okay, this is a good, you know, you got money, you, you had a lovely car, big house, you know, this is a good business to get in. So I asked him if I could get some ladies clothes. And my dad always, we, I'm half Polish, my dad's Polish. And he always said, you know, think about Poland, there's going to be some good opportunities there. So I thought, okay, my dad told me Poland, ladies dresses, let's drive to Poland with these expensive dresses into a sort of almost like a, it wasn't a third world country, but it, it wasn't the most well-off country. And I would somehow sell these. So so I loaded up a Jeep and we drove from England through Holland, um, Germany, up you know up up into Poland and then I just knocked on the door of shops trying to sell these ladies dresses wow. and, and I sold them which is but but it wasn't I think we talked about it earlier it wasn't scalable I, I couldn't do this although I would have loved to have done it every week I, I just couldn't <laughs> couldn't have done it every you were week. limited I was fairly limited yeah yeah but I learned some good lessons mainly because you didn't fit in the dresses or what <laughs> <laughs> how are we going to smuggle these in so from there uh, and I did and just and I did have to smuggle them because it was before oh, Poland really? was open so so when when you got through the customs someone had to bring you into the country so you couldn't just go into Poland particularly not with boxes of kind of commercial goods oh, so wow. we had to kind of give the guys you know a few few dresses and jumpers to kind of let us go oh, through wow. and <laughs> Yeah. Oh wow, that's, that's another story. That's interesting. So, so where did you, how did you progress into the business you're doing now? Yeah. So we so we started this company selling dresses called Escape. Um, that was that was the name oh, wow. that we had for the ladies' dress code. So nothing to do with fitness, and and that the name of that came up. A friend of mine, we were we used to run parties. We used to rent nightclubs and and put on like um, dance events. We'd hire a DJ and we'd promote them. So we did one event. wasn't particularly successful. So we were sat out the back while the party was going on inside, thinking about the next scheme. And we came up with this dress idea. And um, and I said, okay, we need a name for the business. You know, what should we call it? And he said, escape. And I said, why escape? And he said, well, you know, we just want to escape this place. You know, we're in this <laughs> little town that we didn't want to be in. And, you know, life was pretty crap. And uh, he said, let's just call it escape because we want to escape. So that was really where the name of the business started. It was, it was just to try and get away from, you know, we didn't have – a lot, didn't have any money, didn't have any sort of prospects. We were just bumming around. And so the idea was to come up with something where we could escape from where we were. Um, so, yeah. I've, so I've, we I've, originally start off as selling dresses. Where's the pivot come to to making gym equipment? Or yeah. to selling it. Selling equipment. So, so we, we sort of, that failed, but we had a name of a company. And then I was, I was in the gym. I used to go to this old, really old school gym called Club 71. And um, it was a bodybuilding gym. So they had the, the sort of serious professional real lifters in the corner that used to do Olympic lifting before it was popular with CrossFit, you know, way before that. Mm-hmm. And then the bodybuilders used to kind of get the second, hand, the second level of equipment because they weren't classed as being sort of, you know, really serious, you know. Um, so, so, so the, the professional guys had nice bars and nice bumpers. So whenever you used to come in the gym, you used to sort of sit there drooling, looking at the, at the weights they were lifting, almost like wishing that we could use that kind of stuff because um, we had these cheap steel ones and they had the nice rubber ones. And, and I remember sitting on the end of a bench press looking and, and, one of, and the plates that they had, they had Poland written on the side because at the time the government used to make these bumper plates for all the Olympic teams in Poland and they instead of having you know escape or whatever on the side it just had Poland and so all these sort of things connected in my mind my dad talking about Poland just wanting to get a business blah 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 and I went home to my father and I said look I've got this idea if you could find out where they make these plates in Poland 
instead of selling dresses in Poland, I can knock on doors of gyms and sell weight plates to gyms. And that was really how the idea started. And my dad, you know, he, he was brushed up on his Polish and he rang, rang up a lot of aunts and uncles and distant relatives and managed to find a factory in Poland that made these. And, and that's kind of how the whole thing started. Wow. Oh, nice. Now, did it take <laughs> off right away? What were the growing pains like? Because you, you've been in business now for 20 years. You're, you're obviously very successful now. Mm-hmm. What did that process look like of scaling? Well, we, it, it, it took about 18 months just to get a reliable source because when at the time we found this factory and it was an old dilapidated place that, you know, it had really got run down. It wasn't selling a lot. So it, it wasn't a great supply, but it was, it was enough to bring a few weights. And then all of a sudden you'd lose contact for a few months. And it's like, okay, what's going on? You know, where, where, where is everybody? And they didn't answer the phones. And then all of a sudden they'd pick up and it's like, oh, okay, you know, we're ready to go again. And it was very inconsistent. So we, it took us a long time just to get an actual product. The, the most difficult thing in the first few years was, was finding, finding, a reliable supply of these products, not selling it. We had people who wanted to buy it, but we, we couldn't find anybody to make it. So we started in Poland and then I went to a big show in Germany called FIBO. It's one of the biggest fitness shows, I guess, in the world now. Uh, and, and I went there and I found this German company that had um, everything that we wanted, really. It had a, it had a catalog. Um, it had dumbbells it had discs and 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 that you know when i when i saw that company that was a turning point for me that was when i knew that you know we were onto something it was a fantastic product it taken us so long just to find what we wanted i just knew i was going to sell it and and so i think that was probably the turning point although, and although it took a long time to generate the income we wanted in my mind you know we were, we were already sort of there, you know, because mm. we, 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 I, I felt we'd, we'd crossed the, the most difficult bridge, which is to get a good product. Mm. I have a question about, so as you were trying to kind of build this business and establish a relationship with this factory, I know how tough it is, this particular business in itself, the, uh, you know, making equipment. Like, uh, it, did they require you to have inventory and, and purchase all that ahead of time? Or did you work it out to where uh, you could get all these orders ahead of time and then kind of go that route? I think if, if at the time I'd have thought through what was actually involved, I'd have never started it because really? we were so, you know, we I just didn't know anything, um, absolutely nothing. You know, there was no business plan. All, all, well, my father probably knew, well, my, not probably, my father knew a lot more about me than business, but I just had this passion that I needed to do something and it was going to be fitness and no matter what happens, I was going to get out of this place I was in and I was going to do it. So once I saw that, I, I didn't think of anything else. Now, what you say is was quite right. It's like, you know, you've, you've got to have stock, you, you know, you've got to have customers, customers are going to want credit. We, we were literally working out of my parents' spare bedroom in a tiny little house. My dad was working in a job. I was working in a job you know, not earning a lot of money at all. So we didn't have any money to buy stock. Um, we didn't have any warehouse. So, so I remember the first order that we got, um, we, we placed the order with the company and this, this huge truck, like a 40 foot uh, trailer came to my parents' house and, and they lived in this tiny little street with all these sort of houses on. And my mum called me up when I was in my work panicking saying, you need to come here. There's this lorry, it's blocking up all the houses and he's trying to make a delivery. And I, I decided to deliver it into our garage, which, which didn't really have any space either. And I went there and this guy with a huge truck was lowering off all these weights onto the, onto the sort of tarmac in front, of our, in front of our house. So we literally, so when that arrived, I thought, okay, I'm going to need to work out how I'm going to get the product from the supplier to us 
to the customer mm-hmm. without having a warehouse or any of those things. And and we, we tried a bunch of things. And in, in the end, I just started off and I got these lorries to deliver directly to the clubs. And we managed to negotiate a deal with a supplier where we would pay them in 30 days. And I just had to make sure that the customers paid us before we needed to pay them because mm, yeah. we didn't have any cash flow or anything. So we so for quite a while, although it was quite difficult and people used to call me up saying, you know, I've got a gym, I'm in London, there's a huge lorry, how are you going to get it off? You know, and I was like, well, you know, just kind of, you know, unpack the pallet and carry it over, you know, just sort it out. And, and fortunately, the people that started with us in the early days were very flexible and they were happy to deal with, a, you know, kind of like a, a substandard, service really because we just couldn't you know we couldn't do what was needed to do but it it was enough to sort of get us going I guess and Mm. so you were servicing mainly gyms in your area mainly in the in in the London area in in England yeah we we kind of focused on the whole country and we we, you know my idea was I used I used to go not just put a brochure through it was before websites and we had fax machines and printed catalogs that was when we started the business so you know I used to just knock on the doors on a weekend because I was working in the day. So I had to do this, you know, after hours and, um, in my weekend. So I just, you know, send out catalogs and knock on doors and, you know, find people who were selling free weights like fitness equipment companies. So one of our early customers was Life Fitness before they had strength machines. They had just had cardio. Right. And so they, you know, I found out that they needed dumbbells when they were doing gym. So I kind of, you know, made some connections there and it was just through trial and error. Eventually I found enough people to, to, you know, to, to give us some basic income to be able to leave the jobs that we were doing and, and start the business. Mm. When yeah. did you move out of, uh, when were you able to start servicing out of the UK? When did that start happening? Yeah, that took quite quite some time. Uh, we, we, the first country we went into was Poland and that was really because we, we, we started originally importing there and then we, when we, we started bringing in the weight plates and dumbbells and we ma- then we were making kind of racks for so so benches and racks that we made in Poland. So we we thought, well, let's you know let's set up an operation there so that we can we can buy from the country. And then we started selling into Poland, which again at the time was quite crazy because the market was really underdeveloped. But we thought, okay, well you know let's expand. So we we didn't really know too much about what we were doing, uh, but we managed to get it started. And I would say that was probably after about sort of you know, maybe five or six years. Mm. At what point did you, were you making like good money? Like, was there, a, do you remember, was there a moment where you're like, oh, okay, I think we're doing well now? I, it was, there was lots of um, little steps, you know, there was never a moment where suddenly it was like, we've made it. I never, mm-hmm. I've never had one of those kind of, you, you read the stories, it's like you go from, you know, one day you wake up and it's like, shit, I'm, I'm successful. Sure. It, was, it was always really, really, you know, little wins, little wins, little wins. I think the first, the first big win was that when we got the revenue to the. So the company I was in was this dental business, and I think the best year we ever had was was like you know it, was, it did a hundred thousand, and we employed. I think we had like four or five people mm. in that business, so it was a really tiny, tiny business. And and it was when I think there was one month where we did the same in a month that we did in this other business for a year and. My father and I sort of had a chat and we said, look, you know, probably it's time to leave our day jobs and put everything into this, you know, because this is going to be more of an opportunity. So I, th- I think that was probably the biggest, um, f- you know, sort of first moment where we think we're, we're on to something here. So did you, did your dad leave and does he work with you today? Yeah, he does. So I've got my, my father, although now he's sort of semi-retired, he's, he's 73. So my father's in the business. My mum used to answer the phone when she, when we started. So, you know, I'd be at work and she'd be, oh yeah, this is Escape Fitness. How can I help? And 
And then she would ring me and say, oh, there's somebody caught up, you know, you want some dumbbells. And then I'd call them up back and, and try and make a, make a deal in between my sort of main job. So my mum was the sort of first person. Father and I were part-time. Then my sister started. She was, she was in the hair, doing hair and beauty at the time. And then my other brother, he came on. And then my other brother and then my brother's wife and my and my wife so so you know it's a real it started off as a real family business there was always more family people than anyone else for a long time oh that's really yeah. cool i think one of the fears that people have when starting a business is like i don't know enough about that to start like i don't know what i should do and and they get paralyzed by this fear of not knowing enough and they go to learn 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 and they end up never starting anything but you're what you're talking about is what i think is more common like you had kind of no idea you had to learn as you went along, is that would you say that's accurate? Yeah, and I, and I think that's the same in anything that you do in life. And certainly, the, you know, I've, I've interviewed a lot of people, and they always say, "Look, you never, no one's going to come up to you and say that's the right path you should be on." Right. You know, no one's no one's going to do that. There's no sort of big sort of angel that's going to come down from heaven and say that. So, what what I've learned, and certainly I've found a lot of people that have been successful have done is it's like look just just get on a horse and ride it and and do the best you can and and you're probably going to get to a stage where you'll find out it's not the right horse but nobody's stopping you get off it getting off it and getting onto another one but but just through the process of riding the horse to the best of your ability you're going to learn a lot of skills and you're going to be in a different place to where you were originally even if it's in the wrong direction you're going to have a lot more knowledge than what you want and and eventually you're going to kind of find your way through trial and error you know very uh, success isn't a straight line as as we all know so i think that the challenge there's, there's two things i think people make one is that they just they're paralyzed and they don't go forward or or sort of you know secondly they're just so you know they 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 go on a path and they they think that that's you know once they've done it that's final and they've got to stay on that track without realizing okay you you, you can do that don't be afraid to fail try something else and and just keep having these sort of series of mini failures and then you'll you'll hit on something mm. but but you know it's not it's not just about that destination it it's about what you're going to pick up you know, on, on that, on the way is probably more important. What, what attributes of yours would you say has served you the most? I like that question. Um, I've never, never thought about it. I, I think one of, one of the ones is, is, um, I've, I, where I was probably many years ago, I, I, I have always had this fear that I didn't want to stay where I was. Not that it was a bad place. You know, it's a beautiful place. And for everyone who lives there, it's, you know, my family is still there. It's, it's a great place. But for me, the thought of that being my life was more terrifying than, than, than the success of, you know, what, whatever success gives me. So I was very much motivated of moving away from, from what I had. And that, that drive was so strong that it, and, and I'm not, not necessarily sure that that's, a, that's the right, form of motivation because as I've got older now I've, I've realized you know it needs to be a little bit different I guess you can compare it to to someone wanting to get involved in fitness you know they they just want to lose weight so badly instead of what we spoke about earlier is being more motivated about how that the positive part of, of that you know what it can do to your life so I think originally it was just this sort of you know you know this pain of where I was and wanting to move away from it as I've got older I've now started to sort of you know get more excited about the journey and what it's doing to me uh, as as opposed to the destination so I think that's probably the first one I, I think the second thing is just this real love for fitness you know if, if I didn't if I weren't in 
if I was working for someone else and it wasn't fitness, I would still fitness and anything fitness related and making fitness things would be something I would do as a as a hobby. So, so for me, it's being passionate about what you're doing. I think that makes it so much easier than than having a job or a business where you're making tons of money, but you, you're not really passionate about it. Mm. When I talk to people that have had a business for as long as you had and had a lot of success, they can normally look back and and point out some of the most brilliant things, whether they thought it was brilliant then or not, that they have done that has resulted in the business today or crucial things. When you look back at the 20 years now, what are what are some of those things that you did that you think were either crucial or brilliant? Um, I, I think one of them is um, is is the relationships that we've developed. I, I'm I don't see myself necessarily as outgoing. I'm in fact I'm quite quiet and and probably totally the opposite. But I've always been able to develop relationships and and to develop trust with people. Well, people have trusted me for whatever reason. I've not been able to identify that. And and so when someone trusts you, there's a responsibility to live up to that trust. To to so so I've had a lot of times in in my history where we've brought a bad product. You know, anyone who's dealt with Asia is going to, you know, it's 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 a very difficult thing to navigate and and a lot of times you're bringing in product and it's not made as you as you you know as they showed you on the catalog and you're getting you know you've got a ton of stuff that isn't what you expected so there's been times through our history where we've we've brought product we've sold it without knowing what it was and we've had issues and and when you're a small company and you're faced with you know someone who spent a huge amount of money on containers of dumbbells and products which aren't up to the standard that they should be. It's very tempting to say, well, look, you know, I'm really sorry, but I can't help you. You know, you've brought it. That's what, that's what you brought. And, and sorry, but that's what it is. And, and, you know, my father and, and myself have, have had to make some really, really tough decisions that could have potentially folded the company to say, right, I can't totally fix it today, but I can give you my word that I'm going to put every single one of those things right. And so one of the things that we've been able to grow by is, is what, what they call word of mouth, but is, is just that we've always done a good job. When things have gone wrong, we've always stood by it because you, you're buying from me. You're not buying from escape. You, you're buying from me personally. And I know I'm going to bump into you or someone that, you know, a friend of a friend that's going to know me. And, and, I, and I think that's one of the things, probably the most important thing. I'm, I'm not necessarily talented at skilled or anything, but I think if you always sort of, you know, do the right thing, if people trust you and you can be relied upon, even if it's difficult at the time and even if it will take you a while to sort it out, then I think that's probably the most important thing that we've done um, throughout our business. You've you've mm. built relationships with with people like Life Fitness, with the Mark Mastroffs. I'm sure there's a ton more. Are there things that uh, you attribute to that? Like are, are there th- certain practices that you put in place to foster relationships? And and do you do you have things that you uh, that you try and do to to keep those good relationships. I think this is a really important part of business that not a lot of people talk about. And you've kind of glazed over that a couple of times. I'm curious too if there are certain things that you do to to forge those relationships or not. Yeah, when when we're we're sort of we're not we're not business to consumer. We're business to business, and and so within the fitness industry, there's there's a quite a small number of of important people relative to if you were, if you had a consumer product. So one of the things I did when we started, it was always just to really look after and and do everything you can to those, you know, to protect those relationships and to look after people. As the business gets bigger, it becomes more difficult. You know, you can't have those connections with people. So the, I guess the first thing that we realized is, is the people that work for us to understand those philosophies that we started the business by. So, you know, 
not 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 to say the customer's always right, but always do the right thing by the customer. And sometimes, you know, you sell a piece of equipment, it's been abused, you know it's been abused, but but kind of work it out, you know, try and you know, get some agreement with with the customer where it's okay, look, you know, this has happened, but we'll we'll sort it out this time. But if it happens again, you know, we, we can't keep fixing that product because they've you know they've done something stupid with it. So I think that philosophy has always been in, been important. Um, now we're a lot bigger, and I, I think one of the ways that that we're trying to do that is is through things like the podcast is is to be able to you know keep in communication about who we are, what we're about, so people still feel that we're. We're accessible. They understand what we're about. Because I, I think in this day and age, you know, now I think things are changing. You know, it's no longer the days where you've got these big brands, that everybody, big faceless brands. You don't know who's behind them. You know, we talked about Nike earlier and their strategy was very much you've got these key athletes that people buy into because that's the individual, but you don't really know who's into the company. I think nowadays people want to know who the company is, who I'm spending my money with, what they're about, what their beliefs are. And, um, and, and, you know, take it, take it down to a really sort of micro level. That's what I always did. You know, we, we used to build trust. We would share stories. We would share our vision. We would share ideas. We would listen to what people said. You know, what are you, what are you looking for? You know, what problems do you need to be solved? Um, and then we would go away and we'd try and solve them. Nowadays, we're a big company. Um, we can't do that one-on-one, but through things, through technology and things like podcasts, we can, we can throw those questions out. We can, share our ideas if we get things wrong we can discuss them with thousands of people and and so i so i think you know you taking those same philosophies whether it's just you know me and two or two or three other people to where we are today i think that's something i, I guess is really important so I, I don't know whether that answers your question no no it, it does and you know something too you said was i think is interesting is that you've been in business for 20 years so when you first started marketing and advertising was completely different to what it is today. I mean, we just, as far as maybe some of the same principles are there, but the the means by which we do that, how has that evolved and changed in your business? And what was that like for you? Did you go through growing pains of, you know, being the old you know catalog model or telemarketing type calling up cold leads to where we are now with social media and podcasting? What has that evolution been like for you? Yeah, we, we have. And, um, it, it, and, it, and it's funny, even now, you know, I've just, dropped a catalog on the on the table yeah, um, we're all old though so it's all right it works for us <laughs> uh, and, and but 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 funny you know through what we've done on the podcast we've also you know we've we've met a lot of these sort of younger fitness entrepreneurs that are not into necessarily the traditional marketing but when you know when you give them something that's you know nice physical tangible yeah. product it, it just creates something different so i think and I'm, I'm sort of going off in a few different directions, but I will answer your question. I think what what we what happened to us is yes, we sort of we, as a company we we got bigger, we focused within Europe, and and we were you know very old school in terms of our marketing. I think when we, when we came to the the US four or five years ago, we realised that there was these totally new businesses that. We didn't. We weren't even aware of. You know, for, in our world, it was it was the kind of life fitnesses, the techno gyms, the pre cores. We used to think that was the fitness industry, and then suddenly coming here, you know, with on the back of people like CrossFit and 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 a bunch of other businesses. You know, everything from the foods, the equipment, the training philosophies. There was this underground world, which which we didn't have any connection with, any relationship with. That that was you know was growing at a much quicker rate than this sort of old world and and even even a lot of our customers that we service you know they were still very much into this sort of old world so 
you know, certainly coming here, you know, it's probably one of the reasons I started the podcast is I realized, look, we, we need to, we need to sort of reconnect with our audience. You know, we're, 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 we're connecting, you know, we, we were growing 20 years old with a certain amount of people and, you know, we, we, if, if we were a person, we'd probably be a little bit of an, you know, old geezer sort of thing. So, so now we've had to sort of think about how we can communicate to these new people and this new fitness world that's coming up both in the, you know, trainers, operators, consumers, and, and, and communicate to them in a way that they wanted to, to communicate. So, you know, it's been a massive learning curve, but I think, um, you know, that it, it, it's important when you, when you've seen both sides, it's important not to necessarily throw away everything that happened in the past and just say, Oh, you know, we're going all new school because there are some things that are really, mm-hmm. really important, such as face to face communication. You know, the reason I wanted to come out here and not do this, how a lot of podcasts do over a Skype is because you can't replace the face-to-face connection you can't replace it it's totally different okay and and it's the same with you know you've got online learning and all that stuff it's brilliant and it's and it and it's allowed people to access things in a totally new way but there's nothing like a live event or an experience to you're never going to take that away so i I think you've got to be careful of i I think there's a nice balance the old school it's like how can you take some of those principles we're all humans as you said before how can we take those principles but apply it to a new world and and use technology to magnify it instead of forgetting about it and that's that's why i still to this day i like a catalog because it's physical it's tangible mm-hmm. you flick through the pages if i came in here with a digital catalog you know you wouldn't have looked at it right. but just just something to pick up so i think that that's one of the things that i've certainly learned is combining new and old worlds and mm. you know one plus one equals three how can you create almost like a hybrid version of mm. of, of marketing how different mm. is the because you said you just came to the u.s market about four or five years ago how different is this market from the european one uh i, I when we originally decided to come here, um, I, I think we assumed that it was going to be very similar to, to Europe, uh, and you know our product range that we put together, we we thought was going to be similar. The the types of customer we thought was going to be similar, and 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 it wasn't. You know, and I used to travel back every month. I used to come for a, a week to ten days and do L.A., New York, Chicago, just dot around, mm-hmm. and I'd fly back to England, and and I felt I. I got a good feel for the market, but it wasn't until I moved here about a year and a half ago that I really felt I understood the market. And I think that's, you know, that's one important lesson for anybody who wants to scale their business internationally is, yeah, you know, you can sit in your own country and you feel that you know what other people in the other part of the world are doing because you think you've got it right. But it's not until you go there and you live it and you breathe it that you can understand that. And mm-hmm. we've, you know, we've, we went from England to Poland, Poland to Germany, Germany to Thailand. Um, and then we came to the US. So we've, we've, you know, we've traveled in, we've expanded in lots of different markets around the world. And, and I've, you know, really spent a lot of time going, spending time with the people, living, understanding, because you have to change the market. And I, and I think the same thing here, you know, the market's very different. Um, there's a lot, a lot of different channels. It's, it's a lot more complex than I originally thought. You know, there's some things in Europe that they do really, really well, such as, you know, from a design perspective, it's totally different. You oh, know, like, they, what do you mean? How do you mean that? I, I think, I think, you know, looking at both markets, I think in Europe, there's a real emphasis on the design of things. Mm. Um, when you say things, you mean like the gym itself, the equipment itself, or like the whole layout? Like, what do yeah, you mean? Yeah, every, everything. Yeah, it, it, it's... Um, in, and and I and again, there are examples, but if, you know, if you generalise, it, it's, you know, the the... The, the the visual experience of everything from the equipment to the, to the, the aesthetics, but the aesthetics, oh, it's, yeah. it's it. There's 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 a lot more of an importance on that over there 
than what there is here. Well, that seems to be just true of most things in Europe versus here. Yeah, I, I yeah. think so. Although, you know, you've got companies like Apple, I guess, which are the exception. You know, they're probably one of the most successful companies in the world and, and design is really important. But in general, certainly in the fitness space, you know, that was one of the things that I feel, I feel we had the advantage when we came here mm. is that was one of the things that we focused on. So I think that's probably the difference. Whereas, whereas what they do here probably more is it's really about the function of it and they do a great job mm. but but where where in Europe it's probably you know a little bit more about the looks than the function here it's more about the function I think if you can if you can combine those two then then you're in a good position but I, I think the other thing is is you know the the marketing um and and technology I, I think there's certainly a bit of a difference in terms mm. of you know how people tend to communicate the use of social media how acceptable it is you know, doing some of the things that you can get away with here in Europe, you'd probably, you wouldn't quite get away with them in the same way. You know, it, it, people tend to be a lot more open. There's a lot more, um, you know, you, you tend to be, um, it, it, it's more normal to sort of promote about success and, you know, sort of patting yourself on the back. In, in Certainly in England, it's very much a case of, you probably don't want to do that. You know, if, if, if you do that, it's not good. It's going to go against you. So you, you don't want to be talking about yourself and how good you're doing. And, you know, even doing something like this, I probably wouldn't have done if I was in England because it's just seen as not the right thing Interesting. to do. Interesting. Now, what about equipment? Are there different trends that you see in terms of what types of equipment gyms want here and what's popular here versus what, they find, what they're having in Europe? Um, I, I guess with a lot of the trends tend to so CrossFit obviously was probably a big one yeah. that, that came over. So, so you're I, seeing much more bumper plates and stuff like that now. I'm assuming. Yeah, I, I think you. I, I think generally you see a lot of the big trends happen here uh, first, and then they cross over. There are exceptions, but it, but it, it it seems that the big manufacturers and the big brands tend to you know develop a concept here, and then they go overseas and and, and expand with it. Um, so, so I, I would say those are probably the main things. The only, the only difference that I don't see here that, that I see there is probably just you know some of these smaller spaces. There's particularly as you, as you get into to Europe as well. There's, there's just a lot more focus on the visual aesthetic, you know. And there's some beautiful gyms that you can see, even though even though probably the pro, the sophistication of the programming may not be probably quite as good. The, the, the experience is pretty, is pretty cool. How do you feel about uh, trying to move that gym experience into the home setting so you don't have to go to the gym anymore? I've seen a lot of progress in terms of equipment that is like less invasive uh, in your house, um, you know, versus like, uh, are, are you just focused solely on gyms? We, our, our business is purely gyms, trainers. Um, we don't do anything really. We, there's a few products we do via Amazon, um, into the home, but it, it's not a big focus. I think it's an interesting space. You know, if you look at home fitness, when, certainly when we started the business, it was it was a it was a really big thing. You know, you you would go to a traditional bricks and mortar retailer and you'd buy your right. ellipticals and your treadmills and your hand weights and your steps. Mm -hmm. You know, that was a big business. I think it's changed, and Amazon's probably had a big impact on changing it. So people don't go to the, to the specialty retailer and, and you don't have that interaction. So, so it's, it's a bit like the conversation we had earlier where it's kind of, you know, it's very much about price and there's not the value there. And I think that will change. Um, I think if you look at what people like Peloton are doing, whether you agree with it or not, it, it, it's taking the home exercise bike and combining it with a Jane Fonda DVD and yeah. putting it together and, and guiding people. So, so I certainly think... Uh, you know, for people who want to get involved in fitness, I, I think 
there's there's a huge open space there. And, and even myself, I didn't ever think of myself as a person that would use home fitness equipment. And then I, 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 I had a conversation with someone and then I looked at what I do in the week. So, you know, I do go to the gym. I love going to gyms. Whenever I travel, I go to them. But there's a lot of time if I'm working from home or the office, I don't have time to do that. So I'll go home at lunchtime and I've got some kettlebells and a Bulgarian bag and some squat stands and I'm, I'm kind of doing a home workout. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and so I think, you know, it's, it, there's a lot of people in that position that work from home now. So it's, you know, there, I, I think there's a big opportunity in that space and I, I don't know anybody that's really servicing that well at the moment. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, certainly that's a, you know, a, a, a great business opportunity for someone to take advantage I can, of. I can imagine that what you do is a relatively competitive space, right? I can imagine there's people like you who are middlemen for these companies to provide. How do you out-compete them? Like what separates you? What, how are you able to do better than them to, to get like the Mark Masteroffs to say, I want you to outfit my gym versus I'm pretty sure he's got connections with lots of other... Well, I'll tell you right now, just by looking at your catalog, I'm not familiar with too many companies that have that offer all the things that you do. Like it, it seems like, like pre-core or life, they tend to specialize in an area. You seem to have like everything. Is that is that one of the things that separates? I'm curious. Yeah, it, it, it it's it's within a genre. So it's very much sort of functional training based where, where you know, someone who's doing a, a group circuit class or a personal trainer would use those types of training tools. So we don't get involved in machines or cardio equipment or anything like that. But the, the challenge with that is it's a very low barrier to entry. So anybody today can go onto Alibaba and they can find, you know, most of the tools that are in that catalog right. or copies of that. Mm. Um, so, so that's the challenge. And it, and it's a good question. You know, how do you, how do you continue to grow? And I, I guess we're, we're probably one of the bigger companies in that space. And, and, you know, there's, there's a few things that have always been important to us, you know, and, and I think that they apply to any business, you know, number one is innovation. That's really important. You, you, you know, you've, you've got to innovate your, your marketing, you've got to innovate the way you communicate to your customers and you've got to innovate your, your, your products and solutions. So one of the things that I've always been keen to do is to see what's happening, to talk to customers as we spoke about earlier and to make sure that we're always innovating. Now, the challenge with innovation is you can be too far ahead of the curve, which we have been. You know, people of trainers have brought to us these great ideas and when they take you on a workout, you think that's bloody amazing. <laughs> But this guy has been working with the product for 15 years and it, and it takes him an hour to explain it. And when he has done it, you pick it up. So the problem is you develop that product, you stick it in a catalog and then people look at it and like, what the hell, what the hell is that? You know, right. it's so far ahead of people's understanding that it's never going to catch on. Or if it does, it will probably take 10 to 15 years to do. And we've had products that have taken 10 years to take off. And then suddenly when the market's ready, you... You know, it just, it just really? goes crazy. Can you give me an example? Yeah, so we've got a product called The Deck. Um, it, we originally partnered up with Reebok many years ago, and it was developed at Loughborough University. It's in the catalog there, and it's just a it's a simple bench, like a step bench, where you can where you could do HIIT training. Now, this was – this. I, I think it's about 10 to 12 years that this, this was developed before HIIT training was a thing. And I remember these guys came, they did us the demonstration, and I just thought, this is, this is amazing. The problem was the clubs at that time weren't ready to do that type of hit workout. They, you know, they were doing step and, and other things. So, you know, we were trying to sell it. We put a ton of money into it. We did all the trade shows years and years and years. Nothing, absolutely nothing. Then, you know, we, we, we brought the product, we, we rebranded it, brought it to a show in the US. And, and just 
for whatever reason, the market was ready and it, and it just hit and, and we sold, you know, we went from almost like, you know, selling a few hundred to selling thousands of these units wow. and, and it, you know, clubs wanted it, it the consumers wanted it. And, and that's an example. And there's, there's a bunch of other others like that, but you know, sometimes you, as much as it's a good idea and it makes logical sense, the market has to be ready to listen oh, yeah. or you've got to have a ton of money to be able to educate the market. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a really fine balance in terms of innovation. You've got to just be slightly ahead of the curve. And you know, now my experience is if someone else can go and create a path and probably fail, but, uh, but have put in that money first and you can come just a little bit after them with a, you know, you've looked at where they've made a mistake and jump in, you know, that's probably a better model than being the first person. Mm-hmm. I'd even think so. Yeah. So a part of what you do is also finding new innovative type equipment and trying to find and create a market for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 you, so I think you've got innovation is, is number one. Um, but you know, that alone isn't, isn't enough as a lot of innovative companies. I, I think the second thing is we've always, considered the design, the aesthetic. Um, you know, we all like, you know, anything beautiful, you, you know, whether it's a car, women, I'm just, I'm being sort of quite, you know, male here, but, you know, even I'm sure there's beautiful guys out there, but, you know, anything beautiful catches your attention. Right. And, and you know, that whether it's marketing or whatever, the first thing you need, need to do is catch people's attention. Right. So, you know, you can have a dumbbell or you can have, like we have these tyres that, you know, there's loads of people doing tire flipping they have they've been doing it for years but we we came up with the tire and it was soft it was foam and it was we had red green blue tires and suddenly they got people's attention so you know someone like my mum went into a gym and and now a really important exercise like a deadlift or a farmer's walk um or, or a sort of you know carrying squat which is a quite an important movement for her now she's not intimidated to go and pick that up because it's colorful and she doesn't know what it is and it's not intimidating it makes so, a big difference people don't realize how big of a difference that makes yeah and and so so for us it was like we'll try and make you know we're not all of us around here could go out in the in the car park and we'll pick up you know like that dumbbell I see out there which is wrapped in tape and you know a couple <laughs> yeah. of old rusty bars and we're going to have a great workout and we'd really enjoy it but we're not where we're focusing, you know, we're, we're trying to talk, you know, tap into those people who are probably not confident in doing it. And in order to get their attention, you've got to make things look interesting. So, so for us, design is really, really important and, and making stuff look, you know, non-intimidating to people. Um, so that's probably the second thing. And, and, and the other thing is, you know, about your service and your relationships, you know, it's a, you, you've got to make sure as a business, you're, you know, you, you've, you're doing the right thing. You've, your service is great. You're, you know, if something goes wrong, you sort it out. So I, I guess those are a few of the things that we've tried there's to a, do. There's a lot of brilliance in what you just said right now as mm-hmm. far as, and I know it definitely hits home for Justin, who's oh, who's played yeah. the inventing game himself, and the importance of innovating and creating, but just ahead of the curve and mm-hmm. not so far well, ahead that you have to not spend- creating a whole new like category. Right, to where yeah, you have to spend expensive. so much money and time educating. What are some other examples of equipment or things that you guys have seen and going like, brilliant, great idea, change color, change the way the shape, change something like that, and then it's and then it's taken off or done well for you? Are there other, mm. other pieces of equipment that you've looked at that you guys have redesigned or brought to market just a little bit different way and it's done better for you guys? Well, in our early, when we started the company, that's probably the best example. So when when we started um, the business, we were selling these multi-plate dumbbells, you know, the ones that used to have a screw. I'm sure you've all worked out on them. Oh, yeah, they have okay. a screw and then, you know, you drop them and they kind of come loose and they're all clanky and that sort of stuff. So that one of the things that sort of took our business forward was that that was what 
the market was like. And, and we thought, well, every, all of the gyms have dumbbells. Everybody's kind of going for this same look. And we, you know, we just did something simple. We, we added a bit of design. So we hired a designer who, who kind of changed the shape a little bit. And we, we came up with this pattern, which was to, to create this end plate that went onto it, where you could change the color, you could put different designs onto it. So we, hmm. we've still got the pattern to this day. And, and you screw it together and it stops the head coming coming undone and it's a single piece construction and we, we just added some colors so we had red gray blues blacks we had these different colors and and at the time although many people have done it now because it's not difficult to copy at the time it totally transformed the market so you know if you going back probably 10 or 15 years if you went anywhere in england you would kind of see our dumbbells everywhere because oh, wow. it it was you know and, and how long how many years has a dumbbell been around you know it's like well how can you innovate with a dumbbell but you know if you really think about it there are ways to do it and in our earlier conversation that we had about you know trying to communicate to a different audience you know our idea was like let's you know free weight strength training is really important and when we were involved in this it was when there was a big you know cardio was was the big thing you know people weren't strength training it was pre-crossfit and so our belief was look you know you, you need to be using dumbbells you know get get some kind of strength training it's a great way to work out but the people that need to know it the most are not the ones that are picking up. So we just added, you know, we, we had some red red dumbbells. Uh, we came up, came with this funky end plate and, and it just took off and it sold. Um, yeah, I cool. remember when, because uh, I've, I've been working out for a long time and weights were all, <clears throat> you know, the iron ones with this lip around the edge. And then all of a sudden they introduced the plates with the handle. Just yeah. it, and It's a weight. It's the same thing, just the handle. Now you go to a gym and all gyms have you know, weights with the handle. Somebody did the same thing, something real small, small change. And it took something that, you know, that we kind of took for granted and sold a whole bunch more. It was really, really crazy. Are there, is there anything that any, any equipment now that's getting you kind of excited that's new that you see that you're like, Oh, this might be something, something crazy. I, I think the the where we've got to as a business and it, you know, it all depends on kind of where you are in your business cycle. You know, there's, we've, we've been through the phase of, you know, there's always a new product and, and, and the challenge with, with that is that, you know, you've, you've kind of got to bring, you've either got to do something that everybody's doing and then it becomes a race to the bottom. You've got to do something that nobody else is doing and get really good protection around it. So take out patents and, you know, protect it before, which costs a ton of money. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you've, you've, you've got to sort of potentially create a market. So that, that ton of money in terms of marketing, and then you sell it, you know, that's a, that's it, a difficult and slow burn. And then what happens if it's a really good idea and you're selling a lot, somebody's going to, you know, just look at making a few tweaks and then they're going to come around and they'll probably bring the price down. So I think now as, as a business, it's really saying, okay, well, um, you know, what what's the purpose of that tool? How can I help you, the trainer, the club, the individual, how can I help you, you know, turn that into something that's valuable. So, so for us now, really our business is about the, the, the content because, um, you know, we, we got a, we've got a ton of awesome products that people don't fully understand how to use, how to get the most out of. So, so it's, it, although we are continuing cause, cause we love it, continue and come out with some really nice, exciting, sexy products. There's, there's a lot more of an emphasis on the, you know, the, the, the material, how to use it, you know, and the, and the, the, I said, I guess the education component, mm. which is also not as easy to go out to China and send it to a factory and say, can you copy that? Right. You know, it's, it's more difficult. It takes a lot of time. It's quite expensive, um, so I think you know anybody in business. You got to you got to sort of, as you get bigger, you you've got to sort of round out your business model enough so that there's it's quite difficult for people to imitate you and just 
compete with you on price because if, it, if it's just on price it's going to be a race to the bottom and there's always somebody else that's going to be able to beat you on that so are you actively going around kind of looking for these uh new trends these new types of equipment that are kind of emerging or are people coming to you and kind of pitching you these ideas like how's that working yeah it's a bit of both like probably every week we'll get you know one or two ideas majority of them you know they need so much work to get them to somewhere you know there's 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 no shortage of great ideas the 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 (laughs) difficulty is to you know to to implement you know to to create and and execute that idea well you know there's thousands of really cool ideas and every single one of them you could say you know if you put enough time and energy you could make those to become the next whatever you know the, the next big thing but it's just you know is it is it really really worth doing it we're always looking for ideas and every now and again you get them and from my perspective now the simplest ones are, right. are, are the better you know somebody came to us with this this kind of interesting sled concept of, a few weeks ago and we showed it to everyone and everyone a lot of a lot of our guys looked at it and says well that there's What's, what's so special about that? And it was it was a tiny little thing that you wouldn't have noticed, but it, it allowed you to do something a little bit different. And and I guess the genius about that thing was it was so simple that whenever you, if, if we brought one in here now, you know, you guys would instantly sort of get what you could do on that mm. simpler than anything else. So so being able for people to pick it up and say, yeah, I like it. It's a small feature and I want that feature because I haven't got it on mine, but without having mm. to spend ages executing and, or, or sorry, communicating. And we, we spoke about that earlier as well in, in, in the other podcast is you know sometimes you've got to make things very simple for people to get and understand mm-hmm. if it's too complicated it, it, it's not going to work 100 mm-hmm. yeah. well when we when we were off air we were talking about our company and, and how it's evolved and changed like where our, our energy and focus i mean we're a digital media comp- company when we first started the podcast was the top of the funnel most all of our energy and focus was around c- collaborating with other podcasts that's evolved and changed i'd say more of our focus now is on content creation and we're always trying to put out new new and more content when you look at your business today where it's now scaled and evolved to and all the different moving parts that you have where would you say most of your energy is is focused at yeah mine personally and 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 this is a, you know a bit of a bit of bit of a strange sort of th- th- answer to say but you know one of the things i spend a lot of time doing is you know it's talking to people like yourself um be um and when when you know we have these discussions around our board meetings it's like well you know why are we spending so much time you know we've got a big company um you know is that really the best use of your time as sure. a as an owner of a company and i and i suppose it, it it's it's a bit of a shift and and that's probably why not everybody's quite doing it yet but you know there's there's a number of things that happen the first thing is that you're you know you're, you're talking to your existing customers about you know where you are what you're doing so you so you've got that that kind of dialogue going the second thing is that you're learning a lot from different people from uh, from what's going on in the market you, you you know you're staying up to date and relevant with things and and i think the challenge is you know if you're a ceo president head of a company that the, the, the challenge is that you can become quite insular so you know your world is just at the top of the company and and the information you get is from some journals or maybe your instagram and 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 you don't get out much and if you do get out much maybe it's once a month at a few trade shows you know i'm talking to somebody every single week you know in some weeks it's two or three times a week so the information that i'm getting is you know it's current it's live and and it allows us to you know as a business to make some really really good decisions about you know where people's minds are you can test ideas you can get feedback from your, your community so i think now 
probably the most important thing for me to do as heading the company is just to is just to be out there, you know, one sharing what we're doing as a, as a business, um, and and two understanding what's happening in the market so that we can provide you know really useful relevant solutions for for people in the in in, in the marketplace. You you talked about like your uh, a big majority of the company when you first started um, was family, uh, and I have some of our my family that works for our company. And, you know, one of the great things about that is, you know, typically you, you can trust family with your money and your business and hope that they're going to care because they love and care you. And I'm sure that's probably uh, some of the things that you could agree with. But what are some of the things that you have found challenging about working with family? Yeah. Yeah. For anyone who's got family business will probably know, you know, it is very difficult and, um, and, and there's a really, really fine line that you tread all, all, all the time and and I you know the good thing is that we've we've always been a strong and close family which I think is the reason why we've been able to to make it work um, and you know certainly if you if you can get it right the benefits are huge because as you say you can you can trust them you've got shared vision um, you you know you're going to you're going to outwork anybody else because you know because you are the family but then you know you've also you know, families are, are just like sort of a bunch of friends. You know, you've got different views and outlooks and ideas, and and so I, I think it's like um, it's a little bit like a marriage. You've got to constantly communicate and and work on those. You know, you, you got to work on that vision all the time, and and you know, pro- it's probably harder than having people that are not family because when they're family, you, you, one thing is you automatically fall into that family hierarchy. So you have got big brother, you know, younger brother. Uh, you know, father. So, so those sort of um, relationships, even though you don't plan on it, they they pull over into the into the business. So, yeah, because you know, like if your mom messes up, you can't be like, "Mom, you're you know you're fired." It's like, go to your room. <laughs> you <know? laughs> no, it, it, exactly. So, so you've got that, um, and and also some of the some of the sort of behaviors are, are very similar to you know, to, to when you're in your family. You know, so, so, you know, the father takes on the father role at certain situations. And, and so it, it sometimes it's, it can be difficult to have those type of, you know, conversations, probably what you guys have, because, you know, none of you is necessarily the, the father. But if, you know, if one of your fathers was in here, he, he would want to take that father role. Sure. Look, look, son, you know, no matter how old you are, that's, and I, I'd probably do the same with my son. You know, it's, it's, it's very difficult to separate the two. But I, I think it's just... Um, you know, certainly when we grew, it was very much me and my father, and we we spent a lot of time working together. And we used to have some huge arguments, but we were always able to sort of, you know, go to bed, wake up the next day, and just almost as though nothing had happened, um, and just get on with it. You know, now I've got sort of younger brothers and sisters and husbands and wives. They they don't always understand it. You know, they don't understand how you can just have this massive row and almost like be it, you know, almost be holding a knife at someone's throat, and and then suddenly the next day you're all happy and and you forgot about it. They they're like. What, yeah. what's happened yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so as you get bigger and also when you get other people in the business you know you can have these arguments but then when you've got other employees and they're in the meeting they're like you know this is a bit weird uh, you know <laughs> but the but, receptionist is yelling at the ceo <laughs> <laughs> but you I, I think that the reason is is because you're very you're passionate about it and and because you're part of the family is you, you know you're not afraid to say anything you know there's right. there's not necessarily any boundaries and you say stuff but but i think be, be, you you understand that you don't really mean it and and mm-hmm. and, and and those are the challenges that, that you have but certainly i don't you know we wouldn't be where we were today if it wasn't for that 
uh, we wouldn't have been able to do what what we would have done today without a family. And I, I'm sure other people that have you know friends in business probably say the same thing. I've just only really known a family business, and I've I've, I've just mm. dealt with that. Now your your business brings in revenues in the in the tens of you know multiple tens of millions. What was the hardest? I guess growth period was it the zero to a million, the five to ten? Like, where did you find the hardest, the most difficult, you know, growth periods within the business? Because I hear all the time about how it's harder to go from this point to this point than it is from here to here. But I don't know how true that is. I think they've all been difficult. Uh, you know, we've we've gone up over the twenty year period. You know, we've we've gone up and grown. We've come down massively when the market changed and we we didn't anticipate the change and we've had to sort of restructure and refocus and we've gone up again so I, th- I think we've had kind of like two big you know growth drops growth drops mm. that's happened twice and and I think as you as you go forward you've got the you've got this zigzag and every every level that you get to there's new lessons that you learn you know it's we started off as a family and then we get employees and then you've got to think about you know working with other people outside the family and then we started to go into different countries so now we, we've got four direct offices in you know uk germany thailand united states so how do you create how do you communicate and create culture and shared visions when you've got all these people around the world you know one people one one part of the world wakes up eight hours before the other and the other people are eight hours after them so there's a you know sort of potentially 16 hour time difference how, how do you sort of create that energy that single vision that you know that sort of effectiveness in all those markets so i think every every place you go to you there's there's different challenges and i always used to think it reminds me to, to when i started working out years ago i think i was probably like 16 or 17 and i always used to think that there would be a day that would come where i had that body that i wanted and i didn't need to go to the gym I, in, in my <laughs> mind i used to just think i'd reach that place and then it was it's all done and and, and i remember driving I, I still remember going around this roundabout i can picture it today in my car thinking shit, that's not ever going to happen. And the only way I'm going to get it is I'm going to have to keep working out all the time. And and I was like, okay, I need to sort of get my head around this. And it's the same in business. I think in business, you sort of think that one day you're going to get into the office and it's just going to be there. It's, it's all done and you don't have to work. When in reality, it's, it's never, ever going to stop unless you you know, you sell out and you, and you decide something else. And, and, and so I think you've just got to be very open to you know you're always you've got to be open to, to new challenges you've got to be open to change and you've got to enjoy that um, because otherwise it's going to be it's going to be very difficult to continue long term excellent any mm-hmm. thoughts on uh on selling or what are like long-term goals for the the company are you are you structuring it in a way with the intentions of selling it off one day or would you like to keep it in the family and keep it going what are your thoughts um, you, you can you can never say never. You know, if someone came with a big fat check, you know, it's going to be tempting. But I think even even if it was a big fat check, I I, I you know certainly certainly wouldn't mind some of that. But I, I would always want to be. I, I wouldn't want to just go. You know, get out and go and sit on a beach and and not you still want to be a part of it. I'd, I'd, yeah, yeah, I'd want to be in a key position in. In, in something that we're doing. You know, it would be great that, you know, if somebody came along and gave us the opportunity to do some of the things that we've been dreaming about and, and you know, because we, you know, we nobody, we're all totally self-financed. You know, we've got no 
investment partners or anything. And that's difficult to grow a business with your own money, as you, as you probably know. Um, so there's a lot of great ideas that we'd like to invest in this and invest in that. But because, you know, you've got to balance your, your day-to-day cash flow and your, your natural growth, you, you, you've got to be careful. So I think if we were to do that, it would, it would probably be to get someone that allows us to do some bigger and better things that we probably couldn't do on our own. Mm. Mm. Excellent. Well, Matt, it's been great talking to you, man. Yeah. Yeah, I really you. appreciate you coming on the show and meeting with us. Thank you very much. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Maybe was... afterwards we could walk around our little gym here and you could yeah, show us what we could replace. Yeah, some pointers and ideas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Absolutely. Excellent. Thank you right, very thank much. Thank you, guys. Good thank you stuff, very much. Man. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump. <laughs>